Good morning. How's everybody doing? I enjoy uh, every opportunity I get to come and hang out with you guys um, and leave my family at home. And that's always <laughs> to uh, come down. Well, actually, as I was leaving, my wife was like, all right, have fun. Tell them we promise that we're real and we'll come down. <laughs> But this was kind of a weird morning for our church uh, up in North Seattle because the music center where we meet um, usually has nothing on Sundays except for once a year, which was this Sunday. And so there was a couple of events that were taking place at the same exact time that we were going to be meeting there. Um, and so we just told them, look, hey, it's going to be a logistical nightmare if we're also here. So we're just going to bow out and go to the park. Um, and so we had church at the park this morning and did a cool um, art project that my sister-in-law built and put together um, and read some scripture and took communion and had fun. So that was kind of our morning. And then I was like, we were having fun at the park, everyone's playing. And then I looked at my watch, which is not on my hand, it's on my phone. Um, and was like, oh, I it better leave because I'm not going to get here in time. So glad that I made it uh, this morning. It's been a wild morning for us. Um, so Drew mentioned that you guys have been going through a series called, um, what was it called? A Table in the Wilderness, right? Which is such a cool theme and a cool idea. And so I kind of wanted to stick with the theme. I always tell Drew, whenever he invites me down, I want to at least not have it be completely different from what you guys are doing, but different enough that I'm not like stealing his stuff or whatever. And so um, I wanted to look at a parable of Jesus this morning that I think is going to be really cool. And I'm titling this teaching uh, Table Manners of the Kingdom, or Kingdom Table Manners. Um, I, I tend to uh, read a lot of Christian social media. You guys understand the term like Christian Twitter, Christian, all these different things. It's where kind of um, people of faith get on there and they start blasting each other with the, you know, just rudeness and unkindness that um, is just really kind of social media draws out of people at times. Um, and I was thinking about that this week, about how we sometimes, as people of faith, have forgotten that there is actually an expectation for how we interact and engage with the world around us, especially with other people of faith. And I think we sometimes screw that up. And so if you want to find like the haven for how people screw that up, then go to Christian social media because that's where it lives. Um, and it's just people kind of going back and forth, really blasting each other in ways that are just really unkind. And so I wanted to look at something because I think there's some really important truths that we can learn from Jesus' parables that kind of help shape knowing how we are supposed to kind of live and operate in a world um, that feels really contentious, I, I feel at times, right? And it's a problem all over the space, all over the world. So how many of you guys had, growing up, you guys had very, like, rigid table etiquette that you were supposed to follow? Like, when you guys sat down for a meal, there were these rules that you were supposed to follow. 
Like you guys all had them, right? Okay. I had, I grew up with five brothers and sisters, and so there was definitely rules at our table. I remember you couldn't eat before the prayer. That was one that was like a big no-no. Um, another one was um, you weren't allowed to reach across the table. You had to ask for people to pass, right? Pass the things around and then get your stuff. Um, another one was no burping at the table. So I had, there was three of us boys, and that rule was not made for us. Because my sisters could help out belch, I mean, anybody at that table. So that was definitely a rule. Also, I, lo- <laughs> I love this rule. Um, we were not allowed to come to the table shirtless. Uh, apparently, me and my brothers, like, one too many times came to the dinner table with no shirts on, so it became, like, a rule for our household. But anyways, I'm sure you guys have all had, like, here's how you have table manners when you're at the dinner table with family. And I think table manners are those things that are kind of meant to help us understand what is the appropriate way to act in certain situations and settings, right? And I think one of the things you learn as you get older is that the table manners were were meant to frame more than just simply how to eat a meal with people, right? They were there to help you understand that life has certain expectations for how to live, and you kind of learn those things as you go along the way. You're like, this is now how I'm supposed to act in this situation and context. And see, the table is one of the best places, I think, to teach important truths like this, because there is just something disarming and relational and connecting about sitting and having a meal together with people, as I'm sure you guys have been talking about through this series about the power of the table and what that brings and how important it is. And so I think this is why throughout the Bible there are countless moments where we find people gathering around the table for a meal, learning about the truths of God and, and how to kind of function in his kingdom. And so I want us to look at this parable of Jesus from Luke chapter 14, and I think it'll be up on the screen for us. Yeah? So this teaching is, it, it's kind of a unique teaching of Jesus because it happens just like very much in the moment. Right? So this is a little bit different than like some of Jesus' other parables where he'll be like, hey, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, or it's like a field, or it's like a pearl. He gives you like these little things of here's what it is, and then he explains what that means. This kind of teaching of Jesus in this passage is very much happening right in the moment. So Jesus, he shows up to the home of a Pharisee for dinner on the Sabbath, and almost immediately there's this interesting encounter that happens. Right, because there's this man that shows up who has edema, which is this disease that causes inflammation and fluid to build up in certain parts of the body, right? And typically, it was a sign that there was something else kind of actually more dangerous happening within your body, right? And so again, this was on the Sabbath that this is taking place, and there were very specific rules on the Sabbath, right? Rules of what you could and could not do, but Jesus kind of just tends to do whatever he wants anyways, and then he's like, then he explains why it was okay. Um, And so he heals the man on the Sabbath, which would have been a no-no, and all the Pharisees are like looking around trying to figure out who's going to be like seeing Jesus and be like, you're not supposed to do that, but apparently no one has the courage in this moment. They have a courage of many other moments to try and see Jesus. But in this moment, no one's like, 
No one mentions anything, and they kind of just keep on going their own way. And, and they all start getting to this table. And as they're getting to the table, Jesus notices something that's really important. And so he uses this moment to kind of teach some kingdom truths that he feels like these people in this situation were just fundamentally missing. And so let's read this. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. It says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends and your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So this is the word of God from Luke chapter 14. All right. Sorry. Yes, I know it's been a while since I was here. Go ahead. The word of God. No, you guys know how to do it. Just the word of God. The word of God for people, God. I'm going to get it down one of these days. Okay. Um, so did you guys ever play, uh, like, a, there's like a group game that sometimes you'll play when you're over at someone's house, and it's this question that they ask, and they'll say, all right, think about anybody throughout human history, and if, and if you could invite anybody to dinner with you tomorrow, who would you invite? Have you guys ever done that before? Like, I'm curious to know. Who would you guys invite? Throughout, just anybody. Huh? Who would you invite? Anybody through history? So we have Okay, nice. I don't know who that is, sorry. Who else? Who would you guys invite in there? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra? Okay. Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Nice. Anybody else? Thomas Edison? Yeah. Very cool. Anybody else that you guys would like in there? Jesus? Did you say Jesus? Okay, that's cheating a little bit, don't you? Um, yes. This is always the answer. <laughs> yeah. But if you, so, if you didn't answer, kind of think of that person in your head. Who would you invite to dinner with you into your home, okay? And as you're thinking about that, I'm sure that there is probably a space or a place in your home where you would be like, this is where I want to have this meal. Because we have, we whether we kind of state it or not, or know it to be true or not, there tends to be a place in our home where if we're trying to impress somebody, that's typically where we bring them, right? So like if I had someone who was really important come to my house, I wouldn't have them eat dinner like in my my son's room because they would immediately know that I think very little of them. But um, 
We have a couple at our church who lives in one of those high-rise buildings in Belltown, just south of the Space Needle. And on top of their building, the 26th floor, is this incredible view of all of Seattle. And so they've been like, they moved in like a couple months ago, and I feel like I've seen pictures of them having like dinner with people up there every night. It's wild. But we tend to have a place where it's like if we're trying to impress somebody, that's where we tend to bring them in our homes. And so in the ancient world, the table was the place where people could physically see their position in society. Right? And so at the table, you would have this seat of honor, which would have been the closest to the host. And the further away you were from the host was basically the sign of how much lower you were in society compared to the other people who were there with you. And apparently dinners like this that Jesus finds himself at were like episodes of Survivor. You guys remember Survivor, right? Where it's like survival of the fittest. And people are kind of jockeying around, grabbing at the seats closest to the host that would then bestow on them this badge of highest rank and honor. And so Jesus sees this taking place. Like this is what's happening in this moment. And Jesus sees this unfolding, and he begins to use their honor-shame culture to draw out a fundamental truth in his kingdom, to teach them some table manners, essentially. He says, listen, if you take this seat of honor, and someone more important than you comes in, you're going to have to get up and go to the other end of the table, and just think about how you're going to feel in that moment. You're going to feel pretty dumb, aren't you, in that moment? It's going to feel pretty bad. You would have worked so hard to kind of forcefully gain that that seat of honor only to have a public showing of the truth, which is that there are people in the world who are considered to be more important than you are. Right? He says, rather, what you should do is you should start in the place of this low position because... If you do that, then the host may actually invite you to the head of the table and therefore publicly honor you. Now, this is not Jesus' way of giving like arbitrary advice for how to not be publicly shamed and how to move up the social ladder because verse 11 is where Jesus then connects this back to the kingdom. Because in verse 11 he says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, helping people become less prone to feeling public shame would have genuinely been a gesture of care, right? And kindness by Jesus. But while he's doing that, he kind of slips in this, this little kingdom truth. He says, instead of seeking honor for yourself, seek humility, because in my kingdom, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves are going to be exalted. Now, this is a pretty important idea. And this theme is actually going to run throughout the Gospel of Luke. Mary's song, right, at the very beginning of, in Luke chapter 1, reflects this same kind of reality. So after Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus, she visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with John the Baptist. And after that interaction unfolds, Mary composes this song of praise to God. And so I want to read this. This is from Luke chapter 1. And I just want you to listen to kind of this language of, of humbling and exalting, all right? So just listen to this. It says, My spirit magnifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his children Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. See, her, her song is all about the reality that God is going to reverse the natural way that the world tends to operate. Where the rich and powerful will be brought low and the oppressed and forgotten and lowly will be lifted up. Right? Jesus wasn't, this isn't Jesus saying, like, in his kingdom, being wealthier is a bad thing. That's not what he's after at this moment. But he is saying that the way that the world tends to operate is that people often will use, step on, step over, and push other people down in order to lift themselves up. Which is the complete opposite of how we are supposed to act in the kingdom of God, right? Jesus is telling his disciples, or his guests, these guests, don't seek your own honor and position and prestige. Rather, seek humility. Right? And then, if you happen to be honored, then receive that honor with grace and humility. James chapter 4, verse 6 actually echoes this idea saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? The implication being that the way of Jesus demands humility that seeks the goodness and recognition of others, not ourselves. Um, in, in the 90s, there was a show called Friends. I'm sure you guys know all about the show Friends, right? Um, there was an episode, though, where all the friends were discussing whether or not there could ever be a purely uh, unselfish act of service. Right? And they're just going back and forth. Some thought there could be, some thought there couldn't be. And then they were starting to say that even to feel emotionally fulfilled by an act of service is still selfish gain because it involves you feeling good about doing good. Right? And so the point of the episode is to draw attention to the reality that acts of service do in fact benefit the person that is doing that act. Even if it's on a small scale, just being emotionally fulfilled by doing those things. And the point was that that's okay, right? That's okay. And we should still work hard to do good things in the world, even though it still makes us feel good for doing those things. That's the point of the episode, right? And see, I think Jesus wouldn't disagree that acts of service do bring emotional satisfaction. And the point is not to try to avoid the, the benefits of doing good, but to begin to assess, am I doing this ultimately for the other person's good? Or is this really about me gaining notoriety for myself? To kind of puff up my own ego at a place of honor in the world. You guys think about the story of the widow's mind. You guys remember that story, right? In Luke chapter 21, that the wealthy people are all putting in this huge amount of money into the collection. 
And then this poor woman comes and she gives two mites, which is, would have been like fractions of a penny or something like that. And Jesus says, look, this woman gave more because she gave out of the overflow of her poverty. Out of her heart she gave. The wealthy gave so that people would notice them, and then therefore they would receive honor for their giving, right? See, Jesus was not drawing attention to how much money people had or didn't have. He was drawing attention to whether the way that we give is done in pride and hopes of kind of gaining recognition or honor for ourselves, or if it's done in humility to just simply do good for the community that you're a part of. And so Jesus is telling the guests, look, don't seek the head of the table. Because it's not about self-aggrandizing and seeking out honor for yourself. Real kingdom living is about humility and not caring whether or not you ever receive any kind of recognition or praise for the good you do. Because ultimately, God will see that good. Right? God will see that good. And He will honor it. He will honor it as he looks on you with pride and joy. And that should be enough, right? So Jesus is saying, look, the first table manner in the kingdom is humility. It's humility. Jesus then turns to the host of the banquet and he begins to address the host. And there's this, this is a really important interaction that I really like a lot. So in Jesus' day, and I think definitely still in our day, there was this idea called balanced reciprocity. And what this meant was that any social interaction that involved the exchange of goods or services, influence, or other items of value between individuals or groups expected a roughly equal exchange of value in return, right? A repayment of sorts. And so each party gives and receives with, with equal measure with the exchange and the repayment being seen as, as kind of a formal mutual obligation or exchange of goodwill between the two people. And so banquet, banquets like this were one of the main forms of balanced reciprocity in the sense that the guest list, the people who were invited, would affirm both the social and political status of the host and the guests. Right? And then it would also demand, though, a return of invitation and prestige to the host by the guests at some future moment. And so it was like, I invite you to my house, you invite me to your house, I invite you to my house, you invite me to your house. You know, kind of back and forth over and over and over, right? And this exchange codified the position and power of people in society and helped maintain the division that was present between the haves and the have-nots. This is kind of the way that balanced reciprocity worked in the first century. So if a person was unable to return the honor in some way to the host, either by invitation to a simpler banquet or payment of goods or services or something to that effect, then that person would highly, it would be very unlikely that that person would have ever been invited to the banquet to begin with. And so Jesus identifies kind of this natural way that things worked with hosts in this balanced reciprocity system, and he begins to turn it on its head. He says, don't invite people simply out of desire to be repaid for the invitation. Right? 
Because again, what would happen is that people would host a banquet, and then they would think, man, if I can invite like the elite people in society, then essentially those elite people in society are going to be indebted to me, and they're going to be kind of forced to invite me back. And this is my way of kind of climbing the social ladder, gaining importance for myself. And Jesus says, look, this is not... This is not the way that things work in my kingdom. He said, instead, here are four categories of people that you should invite to the table with you. Do you see the four? Put that back up there, the passage. Do you see the, the, the four in that last one? It says the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. See, each of those demographics represented people who had no ability to repay the host and therefore would have never received an invitation to begin with. I mean, this is pretty pretty radical, Jesus. Jesus is telling them that this self-honoring system where people are obligated to repay and reciprocate what you give them is not the way that the kingdom works. And I mean, this is echoed all throughout Scripture. This isn't just in in Luke's Gospel. You can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14. It says, uh, starting in verse 28, Every third year you shall bring out the full tithe of your produce for that year and store it within your towns. The Levites, because they have no allotment or inheritance with you, as well as the resident aliens, the orphans, the widows of the towns, may come and eat their fill, so the Lord may... Your God, they bless your work and all you undertake. Luke chapter 4. Jesus himself says, Look, I came to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release of the captives, to you know, recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We just read the Beatitudes, which say the exact same thing. In Luke chapter 7, when John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, hey, is it really you, Jesus? Is it you? Jesus sends those disciples back and tells them, this is what I want you to tell John. I want you to go tell them what you've seen and heard. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. Those with skin diseases are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. See, Jesus is saying, look, those are the, the people who receive my free gift with humility and gratitude because they have no way to ever repay me. No. And see, that's exactly the point. Generosity and hospitality in the kingdom are not contingent on people's ability to repay your goodness for you. It's given simply because we long for those people to receive but we have already been freely given as well, which is the nearness and goodness of God himself. Jesus tells the host, look, your reward for inviting those kinds of people to the table with you comes at the resurrection, because in the resurrection, you then have the greatest gift of honor available. You have life with Jesus forever. Right? And so obviously Jesus is talking about more than banquets and tables in this parable, right? He's talking about some big kingdom ideas. He's helping them understand some really important kingdom truths. That in the kingdom of God, humility and generosity are two of the most important table manners that there are. Amen. 
Think about the way, think about Jesus' life and his work. Philippians chapter 2 paints this picture so well. It says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he ex existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus occupied the ultimate seat of honor at the right hand of God. But what did he do with that place of honor? He gave it up. And he brought himself low. And see, so Jesus is not telling these people anything that he has not already done himself. Jesus' humility cannot be outmatched. And our goal should never be to compete with Jesus to be the most humble person, right? Actually, we should never compete to be the most humble person anyways, because as soon as we do, we automatically lose, right? And that's just ultimately the way that humility works. You can't compete for it. Our goal should be to reflect, though, on what, what does that humility look like in our own lives? And then to really begin to live into that. But it wasn't just humility that we see in Jesus, because ultimately Jesus allowed himself to be taken so low to the point of death on the cross. You know, generosity is typically defined as giving more of your time and money than is necessary or expected. Like that's kind of the generalized definition of what generosity is. But in the story of the widow's mind, the wealthy probably gave more than was expected, right? And yet Jesus says that the woman was more generous. Why does he say that? Because generosity, real generosity, is about sacrifice. It's about giving what it's about giving with the mindset that this is never going to come back to benefit me. The ent this entire moment. It, with Jesus at this table with the with the Pharisees at Sabbath, Sabbath is Jesus' way of saying, look, in my kingdom, the table manners are so fundamentally different than everywhere else. First, no matter your position or your place in the world, we are called to willingly take that place of humility because it gives others the chance to be nearer to Jesus. When we take the place of humility, it means then that we are committed to lifting others up so that they can see Jesus more clearly. And often when you do this, it's going to feel uncomfortable, right? It's going to be uncomfortable. Because it's not the natural way that we tend to operate as humans. Right? We, we tend to be self-preservationists, meaning we're going to eat the weak, right? That's kind of how the world tends to work. But this is just fundamentally the opposite of what the kingdom calls us to. We empty ourselves out so that other people have the opportunity to have more. We seek the low position so others can receive that position of honor next to Jesus. And it'll feel uncomfortable, at least for a while, until that act of lifting people up becomes your real place of joy and fulfillment. And we have to be people who love stepping into the lives of the people around us to lift them up so that they can get a more clear picture of Jesus in that moment. So I'm going to use a Lord of the Rings reference. You guys know what Lord of the Rings is, right? Okay. I was going to be really upset if not. I thought everyone knew what Lord of the Rings was. But there was a moment where Sam and Frodo are climbing up Mount Doom. You guys remember this scene, right? And Frodo's like sort of tired, uh, exhausted, whatever it is. And, and, and 
Sam says, what? I can't carry you to me in the ring, but I can't carry you, right? It's this big emotional scene where everyone in the room who has a heart is crying, and all the people who don't are like, what's going on? Um, but it's this beautiful moment in the story. But in the kingdom, we take this place of carrying one another's burdens because we long for people to reach the moment of encountering Jesus. And often that will mean giving up certain things within ourselves in order for that to happen. But our longing is not to receive praise and adoration because we already have the resurrection, resurrected Jesus living inside of us. And what more do we need? So we lift those people up because we know what can happen when they meet Jesus face to face. And that becomes our motivation. So sacrificial humility is the first table manner in the kingdom. And then secondly, we live lives of real generosity. You know, table manners means that we give up our right to go first. And we say, well, what is it that you need? And then we step into that to bring that to people. I think churches should be the place where we give without thought of repayment. I want to tell a story, not to pat Missio on the back, our church in North Seattle. Um, and I know all of you guys have similar stories like this as well, and this is just telling my own experience. But several years ago, uh, Northgate Elementary, which is our local elementary that Missio partners with, was having their summer camps, which they have six weeks of summer camps. And, and I think I've told you this before, but Northgate Elementary is one of the poorest uh, elementaries in the city. So there's uh, more than 25% homelessness, many, many different languages spoken. Um, and so they have these six weeks of summer camps because that's what people need. Parents often rely on that for their, their care of their children, but also for um, sustenance for their kids to be fed. But anyways, there was one summer where they had only four or five of those weeks filled and they didn't have something for the last week and they were asking us, hey, is there anything you guys can do to kind of help us with this? And so we came up with a, an art camp for a week. We have a lot of artists in our church. And so we got all the projects kind of set for the entire week and there was like 100 kids that were participating. It was awesome. Uh, all the volunteers, we partnered with a local community center to put on an art show on Sunday morning. We canceled our, our Sunday morning church and had like an art show in the community center where we were meeting at the time. Um, and it was this awesome experience where these kids who probably very rarely get an opportunity to display their works of creation had an opportunity for the entire community around Northgate to come and see what they did that week. It was just a really fun experience. But the, the, the thing that happened was that um, we made flyers for that art exhibit on Sunday. And because we were partnering with the city uh, and the schools and the community centers, which is the Parks Department, we were told that Missio was not able to put their logo on the uh, flyer. And they were super apologetic. They're like, look, we know you've paid for all this, and you have all the volunteers, you know all the work for us, um, but you can't put your logo on there because that's not its conflict of interest. And we just told them, look, we care less about a logo. The logo means nothing to us. The thing that's important is for these kids to have this opportunity that they don't normally get. And, and, and again, the reason I tell you this is that it's important that we recognize the needs that are in our community so that then we can step into those needs to give generously without thought of how it's actually going to 
benefit us, right? Like, like, like we do good in the world. Tov, I was talking, we were talking about Tov. Tov is a Hebrew word which means the goodness of God. And it's this all-encompassing word. You know these words in the Bible are like, it's like one word that means like a million things and it's all bunched up into one. That's Tov. The Tov of God is His love, His kindness, His mercy, His character, His grace, His, his, his salvation. It's all of these things wrapped up into one idea. And the thing that you get from the Scripture is this calling on God's people to be the bringers of Tov to the world simply to bring Tov to the world. And so we step into these moments just because the goodness of God deserves to be saturated in our communities. And then we allow God to bring the increase. But that's what we're called to, and I think that's what Jesus was trying to get at. The table manners of the kingdom require a sense of humility and, and a real generosity. Right? That doesn't look to, to fight, <laughs> to achieve status, to, to kind of be right, but to bring with humility the absolute goodness and wonder of God to our neighborhoods. So these are the table manners of the kingdom. Sacrificial humility and real generosity. So what do we do with this? Two things. Two challenges. First, identify some people around you who need to be lifted up this week. I don't know. You guys know what that looks like, right? Identify those people. What does that look like then for you and then for this church to lift those people up? Okay, that's the first challenge. Identify. Second one, find some ways to give generously this week of your time, your treasure, and your talents. Simply for the good of the person without thought of repayment. What does that look like for you guys? And we're going to take that on as a, a my own church as well. I wouldn't give these challenges just for you and be like, well, Federal Way is doing these cool challenges. Now we're going to do the challenges as well because this is what we are called to as people in the kingdom. Now let's pray and we'll continue on this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this challenge of living lives of humility and generosity in your kingdom to not seek after our own status and honor and position in the world, to not seek to grab and, and fight amongst ourselves for that status, but to genuinely be humble and generous because you are humble and generous. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.